If you have your Bible, there is a word found in the Gospel of John. Gospel of John, the second chapter. Gospel of John, the second chapter, starting with the 13th verse. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found men selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple area, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. How dare you turn my father's house into a marketplace. From this text, I want to uh, preach to you on the title, Purifying the Temple. Purifying the Temple. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray that um, this would be your sermon and not mine. That you would preach, that you would speak. And I would only stand here as a nobody trying to tell everybody about somebody. That I would just be um, a speaker, an amplifier for you. So that you would pierce the hearts, the mind, and the spirit of these your children. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Purifying the temple. I've been thinking a lot about the church building, the temple, the sanctuary. What makes up this place that we come to called the church? About five years ago, I was invited to speak at an inner city camp in Omaha, Nebraska. I didn't even know Omaha had an inner city. <laughs> but they asked me to come, and so I went. And when I got there, one of the brothers who uh, brought me in said to me one afternoon, tonight, after you're done speaking, would you like to go to the rough side of Omaha? I was, ooh. I said, okay, I mean, what they going to do? I mean, what, what, a cow going to chase you? I mean, it's Omaha. But sure enough, Omaha has a rough side, an inner city side, where the challenges and the barriers seem to be more than other places in Omaha. And that night, as his brother was driving me down uh, this street in the rough side, he was pointing out all of the negative things going on in this neighborhood. He said, uh, on that corner right there, someone was shot and killed not too long ago. And then we drove a little further. He said, uh, prostitution goes on right here. And then we uh, drove a little further. He said, that's a crack house right there. And then we went a little further, and he said, um, uh, there's a lot of gang activity on that corner. And it seemed like block after block, he would point out all this negative stuff that was going on in this part of town. But the one thing that I noticed as we were driving down this street was that on every other corner, there was a church building. 
Lutheran church, Baptist church, uh, Catholic church, Methodist church, Church of God in Christ, Assembly of God, non-denominational, interdenominational. Make you want to say hallelujah when you shout church. I mean, every type of denomination you can think of. Brick churches, uh, cement churches, storefront churches. I mean, all kinds of churches. And I was trying to figure out, how could this side of town be so rough? Why would there be so many problems and issues with all these church buildings? And so lately I've been thinking about what is the purpose of the temple? What's the purpose of the church building? Is, is this just a place where we just work out our religious rituals? Is this just a place that we come to because it's tradition? I mean, why do we gather in a place called the sanctuary, the temple, the church building? I, I, I heard a preacher once say that the church building can either be a fortress, just this castle-like structure, or it can be a revolutionary force in the world. And so did God intend the church building to be a fortress? Or a force. And as I've been thinking about the temple and the church building and its purpose, um, I came across this scripture here where we've got Jesus in the temple, which is his house. I mean, Jesus is God in the flesh. So if Jesus is in the temple, he's in his own house. But yet we read here that he's turning over tables, that he's kicking people out, that he's angry. And I'm trying to figure out why is he doing what he's doing in his own house. I mean, I figure if you're in your own house and you're turning over furniture and you're breaking stuff and you're telling some folks to get out, something must be wrong if you're in your own house. And and I'm believing that this scripture is more than just a story of angry Jesus. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to debate, is Jesus angry in the text? Yeah, it seems like it. I mean, it seems like he's bothered. But it seems that there's more there to this text that we could pull out than just Jesus is upset. Uh, because there, there are more reasons why you would tear up stuff in your house. I mean, one reason you might tear up stuff in your house is because you don't like it. You think it needs to change. But another reason why you might tear up stuff in your house is because you're redecorating. You know, you're renovating. You know, you might rip up the carpet. You might knock a wall down. You might throw some stuff out because you're redecorating the house. Uh, uh, You know, and so maybe that explains why Jesus was a carpenter. You know, Jesus was a carpenter because he knew he was going to have to go back in the temple one day and redecorate. Renovate it. Get it back. You know, some people rip up the carpet in their home because they want to get back to the original character of the wood floor. Sometimes you got to rip stuff up so that you can get a place back to its original purpose. Could it be that part of what's going on here in the text is that Jesus is trying to get the temple back to its first love, its original purpose? Well, what is that purpose? What is the purpose of the temple? What, what is it supposed to be about? Is this a fortress? or a revolutionary force in the world. Now, before I talk about what the temple is, let me take a few minutes to talk about what the temple is not. Okay? Uh, One is the temple was not designed to be overtaken or suffocated by the culture outside of it. Uh, Let me say that again. The temple was not designed to be overtaken 
or suffocated by the culture outside of the temple. You know, there are some people in corporate America that think the best thing for the church today to be relevant, the best thing for the church house is to take on corporate structure. And so there are some people that say, look, you know, I want to come in here and help you, help you be relevant, help you, you know, reach out. You know, instead of saying lost people or people away from God, maybe you ought to say customer base. And, you know, maybe we need to get a strategic plan and a marketing plan and an advertising plan. And let's change the structure so that, you know, you can be more marketable to the community, you know, so that you can be more relevant. And some people feel like, you know, that's what the church building needs. That's what the temple needs. It needs a corporate structure. Now, I would be the first to say that there ought to be structure and order and a value system that's in the church. But I would say this. It would probably be better if instead of corporate America influencing the church, if the church was a place of transformation that prepared people to go influence corporate America. That would probably be the better scenario. Uh, 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 the, the temple was not designed to be overtaken by outside culture. Uh, some people feel that the best thing for the church house is politics. You know, uh, the, the, the way that the, that the church house could really fulfill its mission is you need a democratic process. You need to learn how to vote. You need to learn how to lobby for what you believe in. You need to develop some caucuses within the church house so that you can use a democratic process to go about finding out what your purpose is and fulfilling that. And, and, and some people think that the best thing for the church house would be to allow the elephant and the donkey of political parties to come into the church and, you know, get everybody a, a book on Robert's Rules of Order and Parliamentary Procedure, and that would be a good thing. And again, I'd be the first to say that you need a, a system of dialogue uh, and negotiation, and you need a way of bringing a community together for a like-minded purpose and mission. But it would probably be better if instead of politics taking over the church, if the church was a temple of transformation that sent people out to transform politics. That would probably be better. Why? Because you have to be careful letting a donkey or an elephant into the temple. You do, because if you let a donkey or elephant walk around long enough, they may leave a deposit. You know, animals don't know. I mean, they may come in, and there's a lot of churches, there are a lot of temples, a, a lot of church buildings that have lost their purpose because they're still trying to clean up the stench of the donkey and the elephant's deposit. So we got to be careful. I mean, I mean, hey, hey should, you, should you utilize the political process? Yes, you should. I'm just saying it shouldn't overtake the temple. The temple should be the laboratory that, that equips people to transform the outside culture, not the outside culture uh, transforming the temple. Now, let me say uh, another thing that the temple is not, that it wasn't designed for. Uh, the temple was not designed to justify people's lifestyles. Uh, some people feel like that the temple should, that when you walk in the temple, it should justify who you are. 
that uh, whatever my lifestyle is, you know, however I live socially, whatever my political views are, whatever my opinions are, that the temple ought to justify them and uplift them and affirm every single part of who I am. And it really is, it doesn't work like that. And I know some people are frustrated with the temple today because they, they, they want to hear sermons, they want to hear songs, they, they want to hear uh, prayers that justify who they are. And really the temple is a place uh, that sometimes crucifies who you are. Uh, and, and sometimes it, 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 it takes your lifestyle and it challenges it. And then, yeah, of course there are parts uh, of the temple that will say, look, you, you, you are special, you are unique, you, you, you are designed by God for a purpose, and that's all true. But we can't expect the temple to justify every belief, every thought, every opinion, every political persuasion that we walk in with. We, we, because we, the temple was not designed for us to be glorified. It was designed for God to be glorified. And if the temple spends a lot of time glorifying you, we'll never get to the glorifying God part. So, so I just got to lay that out, that, that I, I, I know. Usually when I'm here preaching, people are like, Wow, Ephraim is so funny. I know today is kind of quiet. I know. You, you might not say amen a whole lot today, but just stick with me for a little while. It's going to be all right. You know, I know the ride might be rough. Just put your seatbelt on. It's going to be okay. Uh, I, I, now, I spend a lot of time, okay, talking about what the temple is not. Okay? It, it shouldn't be uh, overtaken by outside culture, and it wasn't designed to justify the diverse lifestyles of humanity. But let's talk about what the temple is, what the church building is supposed to be. What was God's intent? Well, if you read in the second half of Exodus, you'll read about how uh, the tabernacle and how the tent of meeting God was designed. If you read 1 Kings, you'll read about how uh, God called Solomon to build the temple. And I still feel like that structure, uh, that design has much relevance today, that we shouldn't abandon that. So I want to talk about that. What did the temple look like in the Old Testament? Well, there were three parts to the temple. The first part was the outer court. And the outer court uh, was where sacrifice happened. Uh, there was an altar, and I know it's different now. The altar is usually uh, in the uh, innermost part of a church building, but in the original design of the temple, the uh, altar was on the outside of the, of the uh, temple, and it represented sacrifice. And at the altar, there was usually this big structure that had fire coming out of it, and what you would do is you would make your sacrifice. You would make atonement uh, for sins, and you would throw uh, your sacrifice into uh, that fire in the altar, and you're making sacrifices unto God. Uh, though things have changed because of the death and resurrection of Jesus, though I still feel like part of the temple's purpose is sacrifice. 
It is. I mean, I mean, God wants you to come and sacrifice things that you're carrying. Maybe you're carrying burdens around, stresses, uh, problems, things beyond you, issues in your head and in your emotions, things on your heart. And part of the purpose of the temple is to provide an opportunity right up front for you to walk in and sacrifice some stuff. Get a load off your back. Give up some things. Throw some things away. It's also an opportunity for you to present yourself a living sacrifice to God, to lift your marriage up. I sacrifice my marriage. I give my marriage to you, God. I give my children to you. I give my education to you. I give my job to you. I give my dreams and aspirations, all that I am, all that I hope for, all that I dream about, all my past, things good and bad, storms and sunshine. I give it up to you. I hope that it's a sweet-smelling savor to you, God. Part of the temple's purpose is to provide an opportunity for sacrifice. First, sacrifice to God, but also sacrifice to one another. If we're truly going to build a Christ-centered, multi-ethnic church, you're going to have to have sacrifice. You're going to, you might have to sacrifice some of your own opinions, sacrifice some of your cultural stuff. There's going to have to be second. You've got to sacrifice privilege. You know, just because Monday through Friday you may be a big wig at your job, you may have to sacrifice some of your ego and some of your title so that God can get glory and we can really be a community that is of one mind, of one heart, of one spirit, and that we're not the center of attention, but God is the center of attention. So the purpose, one of the purposes of the temple is sacrifice, and that happens in the outer court. There's another part of the temple. It's called the inner court. In the inner court, that's where there's fellowship. That's where there's teaching. That's where there's praise. That's where there's worship. That's where a community comes from the outside. You leave your outside cares, your outside worries, your outside life to a certain extent, and you come into the inner, in the inner court. And, and, and there, when you, when you fellowship, when you pray together, community is built. Uh, that's where you become a holy nation, a royal priesthood, because there's an energy and a synergy to, to coming from the outside in, leaving the outside culture, leaving the outside world, and coming into the inner court. That's one of the purposes of the temple, is to give people an opportunity to come in from the rain, come in from the storms, come in from the outer life, from the outer issues, into something Countercultural, something Christ-centered, something revolutionary, something loving, something welcoming, something that's reconciling. You leave the outer life and come into the inner court. That should be a key purpose of the temple. Uh, but there's one other place in the temple that I want to tell you about. It's called the Holy of Holies. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's the innermost place. It's the holiest place place. It's right in the core. It, it, after you get from the outer court and then the inner court, you get to the holy of holies. That's where you see the face of God. That's where you're in the very presence of God. And, and, and when you walk out of that, when Moses used to walk out of the holy of holies, they said his face was radiant. He had supernatural heavenly radiation all over his face, all over his hands. He was different when he walked out of the 
holy of holies. And one of the purposes of the temple is the holy of holies. Getting into the very presence, the very face of God, knowing that you're on holy ground, uh, knowing that God wants to speak to you directly. Now, I need to tell you something. There was a time when everybody couldn't go to the Holy of Holies. Only the priest could go. And, and, and he had to be anointed first. And he had to be consecrated first. And, and, and so he had to go in there, consecrated, ordained. Only the licensed could go in there. Only the ordained could go in there. Only the called out could go in there. And you had to have the right priestly garments on. If you weren't dressed right, you couldn't go in there. Oh, oh, some churches act like that today. If you ain't dressed right, you can't come in. If you don't look right, they must have forgot that Jesus came to earth and took care of that. But, but some temples still act like everybody don't have access. Everybody can't come in. And if you don't look right, if you don't smell right, if you don't talk right, if you don't know the right language and the right lingo, if, if, if you don't remember all the songs, if you haven't memorized enough stuff, you can't get in. Uh, okay, uh, maybe there ain't no church like that. That's just me thinking that by myself. Okay, but, but I'm just saying there was a time when, when only the, the few could get into the Holy of Holies. And you had to be sprinkled with the blood. But Jesus came to earth, and when Jesus went to the cross and stretched his hands wide, when he gave his life, when he freely gave his life and, and died, uh, the Bible says that the curtain that separated the holy place from the holy of holies was torn. That means now it's a new ball game. Everybody that confesses Jesus, black, white, yellow, red, tall, short, rich, poor, working class, upper class, middle class, suburban, urban, or wherever you are on the globe, whether you live on sand, dirt, grass, or gravel, whether your house is a log cabin, a brick house, or a house of straw that you better watch out for the big bad wolf, wherever you are in life, if you confess Jesus, you can get to the holy of holies. You can see the face of God. Nothing can separate you from the holies of holies. Neither height, nor depth, nor principalities, or powers, or structures. Corporate America, nothing can keep you from the face of God. If you confess Jesus as Lord and Savior, you can get right up in the face of God and say, It's me! I'm standing right here! It's me calling on you! So that's the temple. The temple is the outer court where there's sacrifice. The temple is the inner court where there's praise, worship, fellowship, teaching. The community comes together. And then there's the Holy of Holies. Now, usually when you walk into your average temple, if you ask where the altar is, people know where that is. They know where the place to go to make sacrifice. If you ask them where the inner court is, where there's worship and praise and teaching, people usually know that. But the question becomes this. Uh, Woodland Hills, if somebody came in and said, I need to get to the holy place, the holy of holies, where would you take them? If somebody said, I need to see the face of God, 
I need to get to holy ground. I need to know, is there a balm in Gilead? I need to get to the very presence of God. I need to get in the eye of the heavenly storm. Where would you take them? Is it a room? Is it upstairs? Is it downstairs? I want to say to you that when that curtain was torn that separated the Holy of Holies from the inner court, the, the power of the Holy of Holies starts flowing out of that room into other rooms in the temple. Could it be that when we have sacrificed and when we get our mind off of the cares of the world and unto an awesome God, and when we do that in mass with Christians across ethnic and cultural and gender lines and, and economic lines and geographic lines, could it be that the power of the Holy of Holies, that some door in heaven just swings wide open and this rushing power, this rushing wind comes, and we all have this out-of-body, supernatural, Christ-centered experience that takes us to a level we never thought we'd go before. Could it be that you could have a holy of holies experience every single weekend in your sanctuary and if you're not careful, you'd walk out to your car and when you got on the car, you'd feel the residue of the holy of holies. It'd be like goosebumps all over your body. It'd be like glitter in your hair. There'd be something all in your mouth and in your mind and in your heart and in your emotions. And then you'd go home and when you open your door, you'd feel the wind of the Holy of Holies follow you into your living room. And all of a sudden your house is not the same. And then you go to work and you sit in your cubicle and somebody who's angry is looking at you smiling, trying to figure out why your face is radiant like the face of Moses. It's because the Holy of Holies is all on you. Now, now, let me teach a little bit. Why is that? Why would the Holy of Holies follow you wherever you go if it gets on you? Because this temple is only symbolic of you being a temple. Oh, listen to me. Some of y'all sing that song, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Uh, uh, the Bible says you are a temple, which means this temple is only a, a, a symbol, a structure put in place that you would be a living temple. God's real goal is that little temples would walk out of the big temple. You'd be a temple with hands and feet. You'd be a temple with a heart. Uh, you would be a talking temple. You would be a temple. See, the temple can cry with people. The temple can laugh with people. The temple can give high fives. The temple can comfort and care and welcome. The temple can break bread with people. The temple can understand. The temple can be a shoulder to cry on. The temple can be a listening ear. If you confess Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, you walk into an awesome temple and you leave out a walking, talking temple. That's good news. That's good news. You are the temple of God, which means what goes on in here can be replicated out in a world that's lost. Because you are a walking example of what happens in here every day of your life. What happens in here ought to be contagious. Maybe that's why Jesus was purifying the temple. Why Jesus was redecorating. He was trying to get us back to our first love. Trying to get us back to our original purpose of what this is all about. We need to do in our lives what this building was designed to do. There must be sacrifice. In your daily life, you must sacrifice. Your body is the outer court of God. 
That's right, brothers and sisters. Your body, your body it was not meant to be defiled. It was not meant to be abused. It was not meant to be misused. It was not meant to be pressured into a diet that causes you to starve yourself or to make you want to be what you see in a magazine or on TV. No, this outer court belongs to God, and you need to feel good about it. You need to look in the mirror and smile at yourself. I'm God's temple. Now, I might be a larger building than some, but my building's all right. This is my building. This is my house. Look at my house. I've got good windows. I've got a good foundation. I've got a good roof. There's no leaks in my house because this is mine. I'm a bad house. You see, see you've you got to be careful. I, you can't just let anybody mess with your house. You know what I'm saying? You don't give anybody keys to your house. Your house is special. You don't just let anybody just come in and out of your house whenever they get ready. This is your house. This is your precious house. You better treat your house right. God took out a mortgage on you. This is your house, and you need to sacrifice to God. Maybe your, maybe your house got cancer. Sacrifice it to God. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're, you're not as strong as you used to be. That's all right. Maybe arthritis is in your body, but that's all right. You say, I'm sacrificing it to God. I may be sick, but I'm giving it to God. I may be weaker than I used to be, but I'm giving it to God. I can't run as fast as I used to. I can't remember everything I used to remember. But everything I am, everything I have, everything I walk around with, I present it to God, a living sacrifice, because it's my outer court. But you also have an inner court. It's your soul. It's your mind. It's your emotions. It's the choices you make. It, would you be willing to let praise and worship overtake your soul, your inner court? And then you have a holy of holy place where only you and God dwell. If you tried to tell people what goes on in the holy of holies, they wouldn't understand no way. So don't tell them. It's between you and God. It's the holy of holy place. Oh, that's you. That's who you are. You're a walking temple. Let me end with this. My wife and I, Danisha, and our two daughters, Jada and Maria, we live in North Minneapolis. And the house we live in, we've owned for a couple of years now. And we found out when we moved in the house that something was wrong with the water. Uh, we were told when you, when you cut on the kitchen faucet that you shouldn't drink that water. If that water comes out of the kitchen sink straight into a glass, you can't drink it. We found out something's wrong with the water, that the water's dirty, that the water has got bacteria in it. There's germs in the water. Uh, to spiritualize it, the water has fallen short. It's bad water. The water is not good for you. The water is not measuring up. The water is not living out its purposes uh, from its origin. There's something wrong with the water. The water been hanging around the wrong kind of people. It's been flowing in and out of dirty places. There's dirty things swimming around in the water. And because the water been hanging around contaminated stuff, you can't drink the water. The water's not good for much because the water's messed up. The water is lower than its God-created state. You can't drink the water. Something wrong with the water. <laughs> the water was created to give life. 
but it's unable to do so because something wrong with it. Water was designed to give life and give it abundantly. But it can't because something wrong. Do you hear me? Well, in case you don't, something wrong with the water. So you can't drink it. Even though thirsty people need the water. There are people that need the water for life. They can't make it without the water, but they can't drink it because something wrong with the water. <laughs> but we found out there's a way you can fix that. You can buy a certain kind of water pitcher, and the pitcher has a filter in it. And if you take the dirty, unclean, ain't measured up, lost, decrepit water and pour it in the pitcher, it goes through the filter, and when it comes out on the other side, it's clean water. The water is good. The water is pure. The water is all right. The water's been regenerated. The water isn't a new creature liquefied. It is a new water. It ain't the old water that came off the faucet because it's new water. It ain't the water it used to be. Whatever water it was yesterday, today is new water. The water's been changed because of the filter. Now, I got this theory that the temple of God is supposed to be a filter. And even though you might feel unclean, unpure, that you don't measure up, even though you might have germs in your life, even though you might have bacteria all in your life, even though you might have low self-esteem or your ego is dirty or there's issues in you that make you unpure, when you walk into the temple of God, it's like you go through the filter of heaven. And when you walk out, you're clean. You're a new creature. You're not the same anymore. I can dance. I can jump. I can shout. I'm not the same Ephraim I was. I came off the faucet of the world, but I've been through the filter of God, and I'm new. Look at me now. How you like me? Hey! Oh! Hey! Oh, devil, I'm new now. What, what you talking Hey, hey, you better watch out, devil. Hey, now. I ain't the same boy you used to mess with in 1988. I'm new. I didn't been through. Hey, look out now. When you walk into God's temple, you should leave different. Every time you go into the holy of holy place, you should not be the same. You cannot be the same after you've been touched by God. Have you ever felt any comfort from his love? Any compassion? Any tenderness? Any fellowship? Then you ought to go through the filter and be like-minded, one in purpose, one in love, one in spirit. Having the same attitude of Jesus Christ, considering others better than yourself, not looking to your own interests, but taking on the very nature of Jesus, who was God but made himself low for the sins of the earth. There are thirsty people, and you know them. They're at your job. They're in your neighborhood. They're at your school. There are thirsty people, and they need you to be righteous water so that they can drink from the very words of God. You are God's temple. Don't let anybody misuse you. Don't, any, don't let anybody tell you you're anything different than the very temple of a holy God. Let's pray. <coughs> Maybe you're here today, 
And uh, you need to go through the filter of God. You need to be invaded by the love, the mercy, the challenge, and the transformation that only Jesus Christ can bring. Maybe you need to present your body a living sacrifice today. If that's you, I want you to make an outer court sacrificial move right now. If you know that you need to give your life to Christ for the first time, you need to hear God sing love songs to your soul. You need God to remind you of the great man that you are, the great woman that you are, the awesome girl or boy that you are. And you need to see yourself as a great work of God. If you're here today and today is your day, you need to give your life to Christ. Would you be bold enough to sacrifice your hand in the air? Would you just put your arm, your hand up in the air and say, Ephraim, you're talking about me. Would you make the sacrifice? Would you put your hand up in the air? Would you just put your hand up and say, it's me. I'm the one. Just hold it up in the air if you're the one that you know. Amen. Amen, brother. Is there another? Is there another that would say, amen? Is there one other that would say, amen, I see that hand. Is there, is there another that would say, it's me? Amen, brother. Amen. Amen. Amen, sister. Maybe you're here today and you need to rededicate your temple. You need God to do renovations on your house. Amen. If that's you today, and you know that you need God to renovate you so that you can go through the filter of the Holy of Holies, if that's you, would you just put your hand in the air? Amen. Praise God. Now, this is what I want you to do. I'm not going to make you do nothing crazy. I'm not going to make you come up here. I'm not. I just want you to make another physical, sacrificial move. I want to pray with you. So would you just, if you raised your hand to rededicate your life or give your life for the first time, would you just stand where you are? And there's many of you. Would you just stand? If you raised your hand for any one of those, thank you, brother, for being so bold. Thank you. Thank you. Would you just stand? If, if you're a boy or girl, whoever you are, if you raised your hand for either one of the things that I said, would you just stand right where you are? Because I want to see you to pray for you. Wow. Now, those of you that got your eyes closed, you Christians, I want you to open your eyes for a minute. And this is what I want you to do. There's something awesome going on in heaven right now because these people stood up. But they can't hear it. So, so what I want you to do is when I count to three, when I say three, I want you to do what you think is going on in heaven. But, I mean, don't make the people so scared they run out. Okay? But I want you to model what you think the angels of God are doing right now because these people stood up. One two, three. Yeah. 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 Ain't Jesus all right?
it probably would have went on longer than that, but, you know, some people got, like, you know, stuff in the oven. They got to get home. <laughs> but I want to pray with those who stood up, especially those who um given your life for the first time to Jesus. I would like you to repeat this prayer of salvation with me. Just repeat after me. Dear Jesus, I know that you gave your life and rose again for me. I believe that. Even though I've fallen short, gone my own way, you love me. You died for me. You rose again that I can have life and life more abundantly. Thank you, Lord. I invite you into my life. I receive you knowing that you've already received me. Make me new. Change me. Love me. In Jesus' name, amen. For those of you that prayed that prayer with me, there's a resource table. Pastor Chuck Fenrick is back there. He would love to pray with you, to give you some free resources so that you can walk stronger in this life. Please take advantage of those materials. For those of you, for any reason, that would like further prayer, maybe you rededicated your life and you want a prayer, there will be prayer counselors up here, up front. They would love to pray with you. They would love to get information from you on how you can feel that there is a family of God here at Woodland Hills that supports you, that prays for you, that thinks about you as a model of how God thinks about you. Amen? We are sitting in the filter of God. Let us walk out eternally changed. God bless you, and you are dismissed.